0: Oh, good morning. It is good to see you this morning. We have, uh, as was said a few moments ago, we've had some uh, computer glitches, uh, which you would say, yep, it's close to Christmas. It's time for something like that to happen. Uh, We are thankful for the team that has been working on getting that resolved, and so uh, we're thankful for their hard work, and we want to make sure we express that later to them. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 as we spend a few moments here together as we continue our journey towards Christmas. And uh, there we go, so journey towards Christmas. As we do that, I want you to think back perhaps uh, I, when I was preparing for this message that is before before us today, I was thinking back to when I was a young pastor. Uh, we were doing a kids program on a Christmas uh, Eve or building up into Christmas, and There's always those little guys that are part of that Christmas program, okay? You've got the image, kids, Christmas program. There's always the the responsible ones. Those are usually Joseph and Mary. And then there's the irresponsible ones, uh, the little kids that are up here. And you dress them like shepherds. That's who we have today before us is the shepherds. Either you dress them like shepherds or you dress them like sheep to make the shepherds control the sheep. And I remember that first time when we had a group of kids come up and everybody's laughing and we're enjoying the time as the kids are trying to straighten themselves out to that. That isn't, I don't believe, a far cry from the character of shepherds. Shepherds are those who are men who live out in the wilds. They are fierce They are independent. They are separated from all other people most of the year. And we're going to be introduced this morning to those kind of men. In the age of Jesus, at the time of Jesus, shepherds were considered ignorant. They were uneducated. They were the lowest rungs, the dredges of society as it were. They were smelly because they had been out with the sheep all of these months and years. They acted perhaps more like sheep than they acted like people. And so they weren't conversants, and they were seen as those who are outside of the general population of people. When you met a shepherd, you knew you met a shepherd. And yet it is fascinating to me that the biblical narratives spend so much time looking in to these men who are the shepherds near Jerusalem or near Bethlehem. This morning we're going to spend a few moments in uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 and following. And as we do so, we recognize the joy of what these men are about to see and what they're about to witness. I want to read the text for you and we're going to spend a few moments here together. The, the scripture says, I'm just going to read verses 8 through verse 10. And then we're going to ask the Lord's blessing on our time in His Word. The scripture says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Let us ask the Lord's blessing on our time in His Word this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are those who at the cusp of the Christmas season, we are entering into... This last week before Christmas, we are excited by the season. We're excited by the family gatherings. We're excited by the time we can spend in your word and worshiping you together as a body of believers. Lord, we are very familiar with the texts that we will study throughout the season. We're very familiar with the shepherds. We're familiar with the angels. We're familiar with Herod. And all of these that will make their appearance this morning. In the text that is before us, and again tonight as well, I pray that the familiarity would not negate the enthusiasm, the excitement, and the joy of spending time in these passages. Lord, I remember the delight in my children's eyes as they opened up gifts on Christmas morning, and I pray that we would have that same kind of delight, digging into the text that is before us, because as we open it anew, The promises, the blessings that are contained therein remind us of the great joy of eternal life that was provided by the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Lord, we have much to study this morning, and so I pray that you would allow us to cast off the vestiges of those things which may be distractions to us, that we would allow your word to speak to us, and that we would give you glory and honor for all of these things. Lord, we do praise you and we thank you for it. I pray also that you'd give me the words to speak, that, too, the familiarity would not be lost or allow the depth of the text that we are going to be studying this morning to be diminished, and that your name would be glorified in that as well. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for all these things. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we begin to dig in to outside of Bethlehem is where we're going to start. And we have this idea, the announcement of the shepherds, or the announcement rather to the shepherds, provides a glimpse into the purposes of the incarnation of Christ. And so really this entire time, this journey to Christmas, we must ask the question as we should every year, why? Why Christmas? Why not something else? Why this? Why Christmas? Why Christmas? Would Jesus be born in Bethlehem? Why the necessity of calling the angels to their hosts, which we'll study tonight? Why upset Herod and the governments and both the political and religious government of Israel? Why Christmas? We find the answer probably most acutely in the testimony of the shepherds, or at least in their example. And so that is where we begin as we are outside of Bethlehem. And we start with this place called the Tower of the Sheep. And the scripture says this in verses 8 and following, which I'm going to just start here in verse 8. The scripture says, And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Luke sets the stage for us. And he does so because we, we remember, we haven't studied it yet this season, but. We remember that Mary and Joseph have arrived very recently, having traveled from the Galilee down to Bethlehem, the city of David. That is Bethlehem, Ephrath, which is in the, in the area of Judea. And it's distinguished because there's a Bethlehem as well in the Galilee. And so it's distinguished. This is the city of David. And Mary and Joseph have arrived. And we, have, we conjure up these ideas of uh, these poor young, this poor young couple uh, following into Bethlehem, the crowds that had been gathered around, and there's no room for them in the end. And we we focus on that. We're going to focus on that some next week, Lord willing. But then very soon comes a baby born and wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. We pick it up this morning, fast-forwarding through those events, and we pick it up with the announcement, the baby announcement. Today, we would go on Facebook or Instagram or some other social media and say, the baby has arrived. And that day, the angels are going to be the ones who announce the birth of the child. And to the crowd that he announces, is to the same region. Not in Bethlehem, but to the same region where there were shepherds. This Tower of the Sheep, as we begin to trace those involved in the announcement of the Savior, and we're jumping ahead a little bit this morning, we want to focus on recognizing how to get the table sat for everyone. We've looked into Elizabeth and Zechariah last week. We spent some time there looking into their testimony. Tonight we're going to look into the angels, and there's going to be much to learn about the angels because one of my favorite things to do during Christmas season is destroy all kinds of traditions. (laughs) Uh, One of those is, uh, what do you view Santa Claus as? I'm not going to destroy it today just in case I haven't warned somebody. Uh, But I destroy that view as well. And then one of the things is, what about the angels? Did you know? That the angels are not recorded ever in the pages of Scripture as having sung? Not one time. Tonight, we're going to destroy more of those views that we may have on the angels. And we're going to see what the Scripture says about those things. There are some intriguing details about what the angels do in the text that we're going to look at today, this morning. But we're going to look at the shepherds this morning. Tonight, we're going to return and we're going to look at the angels It's important for us to understand these truths as they laid out in Scripture because you and I have brought on all kinds of traditions, traditional elements through uh, churches maybe that we had in our background or church history, maybe uh, those customs and uh, fellowship times that we had with our family or our friends that began to heap on to the narrative. But uh, one of those is that we... We see the silent night. But I'm telling you, as we look into what is supposed to be the silent night, it's anything but silent. It's a loud night. As we have the birth of the baby, the angel's out with the shepherds, and the shepherds come running back into town. There's a lot going on. And all of this is captured in the background of Herod. And the wickedness that is Herod and the wickedness that is uh, the religious leaders of Israel. And all of that becomes important for us as we set the table for everybody to get around it. By Luke chapter 2, verse 8, baby Jesus is lying in the manger in Bethlehem. But there is a group of people who are going to be the first to receive the baby announcements. They're going to be the first to hear it. And it's not Mary's parents. It's the shepherds who are out keeping watch in their flock by night. Have you ever contemplated why the shepherds were given the first announcement of the baby's arrival? Why the first announcement? We may understand why they were given an announcement, but why the first announcement? Why were they the ones told before anyone else? And why the angels to them? Verse 8 takes us out of the little town of Bethlehem, where we are going to spend more time, both tonight and next week, But at the birth of Christ, this city, this little town of Bethlehem, is a bustling city of those who are to be counted for the census. Outside the city, in the same region, it's quiet. There's the soft sounds of the sheep perhaps still grazing. They've quieted down for the evening. There's not the bustle that's going on in the city of Bethlehem. Outside the city, in the same region, these shepherds are quietly tending their flock. You are likely very familiar with Micah 5.2, when Herod would gather the religious leaders as the wise men would come to Herod's palace, and when they would come to Herod, they would ask, where is the king? Well, that would be a question Herod would ask the religious leaders, and they knew where to look. They look to Micah 5 two, and they look to Bethlehem, and they said he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And so the wise men leave, they go off to Bethlehem, and in the backdrop of that we see the wickedness of Herod. There will be young boys killed because of Herod's wickedness. We see deplorable wickedness, deplorable depravity out of Herod. But there is an earlier passage in Micah that draws our attention for this morning. Turn back. We're going to stay here in Luke a little bit later, chapter 2, but turn back to the book of Micah. And, of course, chapter 5 is what we're familiar with, chapter 5, verse 2. But we are turning back to Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4, and a bit of history and some context is important because when we study the Christmas Events, we often go back to Isaiah and we look into Isaiah chapter 7 and we look into Isaiah chapter 9 and we know that uh, Emmanuel will will be born of a virgin through those texts. But we must understand that Micah is a contemporary of Isaiah. In fact, think Country Mouse and City Mouse. (laughs) Isaiah being the City Mouse and Micah being the Country Mouse. There's differences, but there's a lot of similarities. And so Isaiah is proclaiming uh, to the people of Judah, he's proclaiming the coming of the Messiah. And as he is doing so, you also have his contemporary Micah, who is sharing much of the same information. In fact, Micah chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 is almost word for word of Isaiah chapter 2 verses 2 through 4. They're sharing the same message and that message is, this is not going to be easy. Isaiah's message and Micah's message are both referring back to the Son of God. But it's going to also be in the subset of recognizing the rebellion of Israel and the difficulties of Israel during that time. And that there will be a Redeemer to come. But that promise is given in the backdrop of judgment. And that is where Micah is at in Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4, I've already mentioned the first few verses, follow Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. But I want to look all the way down to verse 8. And really, let's pick up verses 6 through 8. The scripture says this, In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away, those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who are cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore." And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. This phrase that we find here in Micah 4, eight speaks of a coming king. A coming king who will rule over the people of Israel. And he is said to have come from the tower of the flock. Church father Jerome who lived in Bethlehem, said that this tower was a thousand paces outside of Bethlehem towards Bethel. And so roughly a, half a, mile, a little more than a half a mile away from Bethlehem is the Tower of the Sheep. This is the place where Rachel, as she was delivering Benjamin, would die in childbirth. And she would be buried nearby in Bethlehem, on the outskirts of Bethlehem. And Israel, or Jacob, would then go and pitch his tent on the other side. This is the only other reference to this text, or to this word, in Genesis chapter 35, at Migdal er- Erda. And it is here that we find this place, this tower of the sheep. And it is here, this Megdal Erda, where the place where the lambs used for the Passover sacrifice are raised. And this is the context. This has been going on for hundreds of years. The Passover lambs would be raised outside of the city of Bethlehem and a very near location to Jerusalem. And these are not just all the sheep. These are the choice sheep. These are the ones who qualify for the sacrifices of the Passover. And these shepherds who watch over in the Tower of the Sheep, who are watching over these flocks, are watching diligently for all kinds of things. For predators, certainly. They're watching over for uh, the weather and famine and the grass, certainly. But they're also watching to make sure that these sheep qualify to be the sacrifices, They're the ones who pay attention to make sure that they're pure. And it leads us to a recognition of these future sacrifices of these sheep. These shepherds' job is to make sure that these sheep are raised for the Passover, likely to happen, the sacrifice of those particular sheep to happen within the next few months. When one pauses to think about that, the conclusion is very probable that the lambs born near Bethlehem were birthed to be sacrificed in Jerusalem. And another lamb was born. And he was born there in Bethlehem, who would also be sacrificed in Jerusalem. The sheep being raised at this place would soon be headed off. They'd be headed off to Jerusalem to be the sacrifice these shepherds were likely watching over the majority of those sheep. And within a few months, these sheep would be Passover lambs. With that context, recognizing Micah 4, let us go back to Luke. Let me fill in some more of the details. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, the scripture says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in their flock, keeping... Out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. To, them, to these shepherds who are out quietly watching over their flocks, the appearance of the angel is a terrifying scenario. It's dark, and suddenly the brilliant light of the angel appears and begins to speak to them, and they were filled with great fear. These are men, let me remind you, who are not afraid of anything. These men will take on, as we know David did as a shepherd, will take on the lion, and he'll take on the bears. These are men who would run into the problems today. These are those who are our first responders. Often they run into a firefight; they don't run from it. They run into a fire; they don't run from it. That was the shepherds. They ran into the fight to to save the sheep. If there was conflict, they ran there. These were not men of fear, and yet at the appearance of the angel, they were filled with great fear. And the angel begins to extol to them that there is a child born in Bethlehem. We're going to look into the message of the angels tonight, but there's a few elements I want you to understand. And the first is that the angels came with a message proclaiming good news of great joy. That is for all the people. Not just for Israelites, not just for the Jewish people, but for all people. The good news of great joy. Going back to the promise made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, where all nations of the earth would be blessed, it would be through this child. And it would be through the proclamation of Gabriel to Mary, to Zechariah, and to the, or to the shepherds that this would be established in the birth announcement, that this was the child who would bless all people. This message, as we recognize again, uh, we will look into tonight. does not go to religious leaders. It didn't go to the political leaders. It didn't go to Herod. It didn't go to the Pharisees. It didn't go to the Sadducees. It didn't go to the Esseans. It went to the common, everyday people. This would be something that the Pharisees and the Sadducees just could not get over through the life of Christ. In fact, as we look through the nation of Israel, we recognize that there's at least four significant groups of people. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Esseans, who are the zealots, and the common everyday person. And the Pharisees look down their nose at the common everyday person. They look down their nose to say, who are you? Why are you in my presence? Don't you know that I'm a Pharisee? The Sadducees, while having a different air about them, would do the same. And the zealots would try to use the common everyday people for their purposes. But because they weren't zealous enough, they too would disregard the common majority people. Of Israel. But the angels didn't go to the zealots. The angels didn't go to the Pharisees. They didn't go to the Sadducees. The angels didn't go to King Herod. The angels went to Migdal-Eder, where the shepherds were, the tower of the sheep. The one that Micah 4, 8 had promised from that place would rise a king over Israel. That is where the angels went. The angels came to the shepherds. And that forces us, as again we'll study the rest of this context tonight, but that forces us to, what is the, what is the response of the shepherds? What are they doing? What, is, what are they going to do? Verse 15, as we see the shepherds visit, verse 15 through 17, the scripture says this, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And so the question again That we asked earlier was, why Christmas? Now the question is, why shepherds? Why shepherds? This is an important question. One that we have built the foundation to just a moment ago in spending all of our time in Micah. The announcement of the birth of Jesus was divinely provided to the least of society. In fact, if you're an Israelite, the least of society were the Gentiles and the shepherds. And it would be the Gentiles, through the magi, through the wise men, and it would be the shepherds who would be the divinely called visitors to this child. Shepherds, as I said, and it's worth repeating, were considered ignorant, uneducated, and dirty, the necessary dredges of society. Necessary because the Pharisees, in order to walk around in their pomp and circumstance, had to have the... Lambs prepared for them, but they would not dirty their hands to make that happen. The shepherds, interestingly enough as well, the shepherds were the only recorded recipients of an angelic messenger throughout the biblical narrative, at least that is recorded vocally as having spoken, who did not have a son after the visit. Everyone else, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they have a son, and his name is John, which we studied last week. And then we saw the context of the Old Testament saints filling in those details for us as we studied them last week. And Mary and Joseph, both recipients of an angel, both recipients of Gabriel who had come to them with a message independently and separately, both told they were going to have a child, and that child's name is Jesus, the one born in the manger, The shepherds are told the child is born. Their message given to them is different. Their reception is different. Instead of just Gabriel, they are met with a host of angels. This host of angels. Their role as shepherds is essential and vital to the work and ministry of Jesus. Specifically, as the Passover lamb. This forms for us a critical link. In fact, as we begin to understand this, we begin to recognize that the shepherds provide this link to the very purpose of Christ's coming. Jesus would long for and look forward to the last Passover meal with his disciples where he would tell them that he was going to become the Passover lamb. And we celebrate this. We're going to celebrate it very soon at the Lord's table, where we look ahead to partaking of the table anew with Christ. But the disciples recognized, even in those moments, as blinded as they were, as it began to dawn on them by the dawn of the next day, that Jesus himself would be the Passover lamb. The purpose of Christ's coming is to give his own life as a substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of others that they may be forgiven. And we think all the way back to Exodus, the Exodus of Israel coming out and the necessity of painting the doorposts so that the angel of the Lord, as he swept over the camp, would not kill their firstborn. The Passover lamb's blood was what spared the inhabitants of those homes. And the Passover lamb's blood continues to redeem today. In John chapter 6, verses 35 through 37, Jesus says that he is the bread of life. Bethlehem means bread. And Ephrath, Bethlehem, Ephrath, means fruitful. Christ is the bread of life. Born in the city of bread. And Ephrath is the designation, it's a designating term, because we don't want to mix up. You don't want to get the right zip code, as one author writes. He says that God not only gave us the address, He gave us the right zip code. It wasn't in Galilee, it was in Judea, in Bethlehem of Ephrath. That is not Galilee, Bethlehem, but the Galilee in Judah. Born near Migdal-Adar, the tower of the sheep, under the care of the shepherds of the Passover lambs. Christ would not only fulfill Micah 5.2, which says that he would be born in Bethlehem Ephrath, the least among the places, the smallest. In fact, it wasn't even named among the chief cities, but it is the city by which the promised king would come from. Micah 5.2 would not only be fulfilled, but so would Micah 4.8. That the king who would come from Migdal Adar would come from the Tower of the Sheep to rule over Jerusalem. Small place, insignificant, except among the shepherds. The promised king of Israel would come as promised in Micah 5.2 and Micah 4.8. And it would be the testimony of the shepherds That would provide the critical link. When the shepherds arrive at the site of the manger in Luke chapter 2, they detailed for Joseph and Mary the announcement of the angels. And they detailed for them the demonstration of the hosts of angels. Not only the words, but the hosts. The words would have been very similar to something that Mary and Joseph had heard, at least in the now present context, that the child had been born. But now they also recognize there's something different. There's something different about the message, and that is that there is the significant statement of the hosts of angels. And that's where we're going to spend our time this evening, at least in some detail, as we begin to recognize what this is. And I will say briefly as somewhat of a commercial for tonight, but also in case you're not going to be here tonight, the hosts of angels are not as we think. The word for hosts is the same word that we get the word legion from. The picture is not of casual display of magnificent brilliance for the sake of magnificent brilliance. The image is of a military array. The hosts of the angels were not there to say that all is well. They were there to say that all will end well. And they were there to prove it. The statement to the angels, or the statement rather to the shepherds from the angels, while it was Gabriel to begin with, most likely, and then spread out to the hosts, they were there to issue the battle cry. We think of them in nice, calm terms. They were there to support it. They were there in force. And the shepherds' testimony when they arrived at the manger side of Jesus was to demonstrate how distinctly different this child was. And his distinct purposes would be good news of great joy. For all who would believe, supported by the legions of angels. This is a military statement. This was a show of force and it would be the battle that would begin to build steam throughout the ministry of Christ. The shepherds believed so much. After the demonstration and the words of the angel and the demonstration of the hosts of angels, the shepherds believed so much in the message that they left their flocks and ran to to Bethlehem. The thing that the Pharisees would not do, the religious leaders in Jerusalem would not do, oh, the Messiah has been born in Bethlehem, well, let's just let those magi go and figure that out for us. The shepherds dropped everything they were doing, the care of the Passover lambs, and ran to Bethlehem. And when they arrived, they found everything that had been told to them to be the case. Verse 16, and when they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Now the manger is not as we think, manger today. We think of Wooden mangers that are easy to move around to set up in churches for, for the displays. But the mangers that were used in Israel, where there was very little lumber to build mangers from, were hewn out of rocks and were heavy, quite heavy, and they're still there today. In fact, there's a great display of them at Megiddo today, where you could see these stone mangers. That's where Jesus was laid in one of these outcast feeding troughs. But it would be the shepherds who upon their arrival would praise the Lord concerning what they had seen, what they had heard. Notice as they praise God, verses 18 and following. Scripture says this, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I want to skip verse 18 for now and look into verse 19 and Mary's response. The response of Mary to these events is a well-known element of the Christmas narrative. That she treasured, that she pondered these things. It is worth our observation again, and repeatedly so, that Mary, having entertained Gabriel herself... Having some concept of understanding, which was read for us this morning in our uh, scripture reading, as she extols the wonders and the virtues of who God is and the fulfillment of his promises, as she's extolling that, she marvels at the shepherd's statements. She marvels and ponders and treasures those statements. All of this would be necessary for Mary because when Christ would become the Passover lamb, she would need them to reflect on. The fact that Mary treasured these events means that she sought, the word literally means that she sought to preserve these events in her mind. She sought to ingrain them, to embed them, so that she would not forget them. She wanted to reflect upon them, and she likely did at many points in the ministry of Christ. And then again, when Christ would die for Mary's sins and for ours. At this point, Mary knows more than anyone else. She's certainly had conversations with Zechariah and Elizabeth. She knows the details of the angel's message. Had probably heard them over and over and over and over again. She had received her own angel coming to her, and she'd received those details or rehearsed those details over and over and over again. She had certainly spoken with Joseph about Gabriel's visit to him and had rehearsed those details over and over and over again. And now here come the shepherds. and She rehearses these details and embeds these in her mind. She knows more than anyone else. And she treasures these events. It would be wise. It would be wise for you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, to follow Mary's example. Do you know these events? You may know the words. You may have memorized Luke 2. Maybe you read that in your Christmas celebrations as a family. Maybe you've memorized Luke 2. Maybe you've memorized some of the other events. You know of the Magi. You know of all of the details. But do you truly treasure them? Do you ponder them? That the Savior of the world would take on flesh to become like one of us, yet without sin. Do you ponder what it meant for the divine To take on humanity, to take on flesh, Philippians chapter 2. Do you ponder the humility? Not in the negative sense, except that the divine became like one of us, but in the positive sense of the illustration of what Christ would do for us and how we as believers ought to act. Do we comprehend with greater clarity each year the events of the Christmas narrative? And are we joyous to study them again, to reflect on them again, to ingrain them into our thinking so that when we close our eyes, we see it all unfold. We inherit, it. We understand it. Mary ponders these things. What about the shepherds? What about the shepherds? The shepherds worship. First, they worship vocally. Notice this in verse 18. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The shepherds were not quiet. I said this was not a quiet night. You can imagine the bustle of Bethlehem as the sheep began to settle down and all of the other livestock that had been used for the carrying and transportation of all the people who are now assembled in Bethlehem began to settle down And all the people talking as they're with their families for the first time in maybe decades. And they're with their families and you can hear the chatter from one house to the next. And in the midst of that, here come the shepherds running from uh, Migdal Adar, running into town, proclaiming what they have seen from the angels, proclaiming now as they're leaving town what they have seen in the manger. And all who heard it, wondered, marveled. They too took note. In verse 20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. These shepherds, according to verse 18, were not quiet about what they had witnessed, what they had seen, what they had heard. These Are two additional responses, or there are two additional responses revealed in these first couple verses. First is the response of the people. Unlike those who had heard of John's birth um, by the spreading of the news, Luke focuses on those who saw the shepherds and heard the message. When John is born, there is a a different context there. When John's birth is announced, there's a different context there. Far more glorious than Jesus' birth where it was the shepherds who were doing the proclamation. Luke focuses on those who saw the shepherd and heard the message from the shepherds. They wondered, that is, they believed the shepherd's message, and they were astonished by the events that they had been made witnesses thereof. And then second, the shepherds leave the manger, worshiping. I remind you, these are hardened men. These are men who probably would only go to the temple, only go to worship the Lord as required by the law. Otherwise, they were hardened men, weathered by the frigid temperatures, by the soaring temperatures in the summer, by the rains, by the abuses of society. These men had weathered. But the shepherds leave the manger following the same pattern of the angels. They worship and glorify the Lord, having seen all of the evidence that is laid before them. These shepherds had been there at the birth of the great Passover lamb. Their message would resonate throughout the ministry of Christ, as Christ would often pick up the imagery of the shepherds and use in His teaching. But that ministry of the shepherds this night would be in the demonstration of the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It is no accident. The angels didn't get sidetracked. They didn't get lost and ask for directions to where they were supposed to be. When they went to the Tower of the Sheep, they were where they were supposed to be. These were the people who would be the first to hear of the announcement of Jesus and they would be the ones to give us a glimpse that Christ would soon be the one who would take away the sins of the world by his own Passover death. Let us close this portion of our time of service in a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we bow our heads thankful that these shepherds were the ones who witnessed and observed all of these events. Thank you for giving to us the picture of the lowly shepherds running into the city of Bethlehem observing what they had seen there, and proclaiming it loudly as they departed. But we know that this was not a a quiet evening in Bethlehem. But as all of these events take place, we see it in the backdrop of the wickedness of Herod. We recognize the satanic influences and forces that would have been the dark backdrop behind all of this. And yet it is the hosts of angels, the glorious, brilliant display of power, that would, be, would motivate and press forward the shepherds to Bethlehem. Lord, we praise you for their testimony. We praise you for what they saw and what they witnessed and what they spoke. I pray that as we look renewed again into their example, that we would do so with a freshness, with a joy and understanding that these men, as hardened as they were, were the first to see... This precious child, innocent in every way, laid in a manger. Lord, as application for us, I pray that we too would be those who would treasure these moments, treasure these texts of Scripture, and that like Mary, we would ponder them in our hearts, and that we would hold them dear. That your name would be glorified and exalted in our behavior and our actions and our responses through this Christmas season. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all of these things, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.